Recording, Chris? That was our signal. <laughs> Let us pray. Dear Heavenly Lord, you have given us your word today. Now let it enter into our hearts and into our minds. Let us dwell on your word, Lord, and let it make a difference in our lives. This we pray in your name. Amen. Is your religion worthless? Think about that. I came across a story that I would like to share with you. My brother Kevin thinks that God lives under his bed. At least that's what I heard him say one night. He was praying out loud in his bedroom, and I stopped to listen. Are you there, God, he asked. Where are you? Oh, I see, under the bed. Kevin's unique perspectives are often a source of amusement. But that night, something else lingered long after the humor. I realized for the first time the very different world that Kevin lives in. He was born 30 years ago, mentally disabled as a result of difficulties during labor. Apart from his size, he's six foot two, there are few ways in which he is an adult. He reasons and communicates with the capabilities of a seven-year-old, and he probably always will. He will probably always believe that God lives under his bed, that Santa Claus is the one who puts the presents under the Christmas tree on Christmas Day, and that airplanes stay up in the sky because angels carry them. I remember wondering if Kevin realizes that he is different. Is he ever dissatisfied with his monotonous life? Up before dawn each day, off to work at a workshop for the disabled, home to walk our dog, return to eat his favorite mac and cheese for dinner, and later to bed. The only variation in his routine is laundry day, when he hovers excitedly over the washing machine. He never seems to be dissatisfied. He lopes out to, the bar, out to the bus every morning at precisely 7.05, eager for a day of simple work. He wrings his hands excitedly while the water boils on the stove for dinner. And he stays up late twice a week just to gather our dirty laundry. And Saturdays. Oh, the bliss of Saturdays. That's the day my dad takes Kevin to the airport to have a soft drink, to watch the planes land, and speculate loudly on the destination of each passenger. 
That one's going to Chicago, yells Kevin and claps his hands excitedly. And so goes his world of daily rituals and weekend field trips. He doesn't know what it means to be discontent. His life is simple. He will never know of wealth or power. He doesn't care what brand of clothes he wears or what food he eats. His needs have always been met, and he never worries that one day they might not be. He does not shrink from a job once it's started, and he does not leave a job until it is finished. He still believes that everybody tells the truth. Promises must be kept. And when you are wrong, you apologize instead of argue. Free from pride and unconcerned with appearances, Kevin is not afraid to cry when he is hurt, when he is angry or sorry. He is always transparent and always sincere. And he trusts God. Kevin seems to know God, to really be friends with him. God seems like his closest companion. I envy the security Kevin has in his simple faith. Perhaps he is not the one with the handicap. We should be like Kevin, for Kevin's faith is in the right place. He knows that it is God he should trust. He knows that it is God he should love above all else. His religion is true. Oh, how much we can learn from Kevin. But too often, we become like the Israelites in our scripture passage today. We have put our trust in people and in things that cannot save us. We have abandoned God in favor of other things that have become more appealing to us. The Israelites put their trust in the temple building because they believed they were protected as long as they were near it. They believed that God would, let, would not let harm come to the temple and those that were living near it. The temple had become their idol and their religion had become worthless. They lived in a period of religious decline that followed the death of King Josiah. And though King Josiah had done well to restore the temple, the people had developed a wrong and even superstitious attitude towards it. They felt that it was sacred, that it belonged to God, and that therefore he would not allow any enemy to destroy it. 
they thought that the presence of the temple in Jerusalem guaranteed the city against any capture by the enemy. Because of their false belief, God now tells Jeremiah to stand outside the temple and announce to the people that in thinking this way, they are deceiving themselves. Only by changing their ways and replacing their sinful actions with godliness will they save their temple, their city, and their nation from destruction. How much faith do we put in our building? Do we believe that if we come here every Sunday and pretend to be good Christians, that we too will be saved? Do we merely put on a show for others, and then when nobody is looking, we go back to our evil ways? This is what the Israelites were doing. They would follow the worship ritual while at the same time maintaining their sinful lifestyle. It was a religion without a true commitment to God. It was a false and worthless religion. This is why God sent Jeremiah to rebuke the people for their false and worthless religion, for their idolatry and their shameless behavior. Jeremiah points out the stupidity of the people in thinking that they can do as they wish and still expect God to save them. They are immoral, dishonest, violent, and idolatrous. And yet, they think they are safe because they offered their sacrifice in God's temple. Now, Shiloh was once the religious center of the nation, the place where the tabernacle was set up. But God allowed Shiloh and the tabernacle to be invaded and smashed because of the people's wickedness. And now, for the same reason, he will allow Jerusalem and its temple to be destroyed. The Israelites had fallen into a lifestyle of complete immorality. They were filled with greed, deceit, debauchery, and they didn't even care. In fact, they enjoyed their sinful lifestyle so much that they weren't willing to give it up to save their own souls. Jeremiah proclaims in chapter 6, from the least to the greatest, all are greedy for gain. Prophets and priests alike, all practice deceit. Are they ashamed of their loathsome conduct? No, they have no shame at all. They do not even know how to blush.
how far the Israelites have fallen. Even their religious and government leaders have fallen to the lowest depths of despicable behavior. And it does not bother them. They don't even know how to blush. Is our society today any different from the people of Jeremiah's time? Look at the crime rates of our cities and our nations. Look at how greedy many have become, chasing after the almighty dollar. Look at how promiscuous we have become. We sell sex on street corners. Young children being trafficked for financial gain. Streets filled with gangs. Dishonest judges in the courtrooms. The broken homes of disloyal parents. The list goes on. And we don't even blush. Have we too become so complacent that we don't even notice anymore? Have we too disregarded the prophet's warning? It's time to wake up and change the way we live. It is time to take our religion outside of the church doors. We can no longer sit by and entrust our lives to a government that has been infiltrated by corruption. We can no longer sit by and let the priests and the pastors do all the praying for our nations. We can no longer afford to ignore the word of our Lord. Now there are several parallels between how the people of Judah viewed their temple and how many and how many people view their churches today. Number one, they didn't make the temple part of their daily living. We go to beautiful churches, well prepared for worship. But too often we don't take the presence of God with us throughout the week. Number two, the image of the temple became more important than the substance of their faith. We hold the image of going to church and belonging to a group more important than a life changed for God. Number three, the people used their temple as a sanctuary. Many people today use religious affiliation as a hideout, thinking it will protect them from evil and from problems. The people of Jeremiah's time followed a worship ritual, but maintained 
a sinful lifestyle. It was a religion without a personal commitment to God. It was a worthless religion. We too can easily do the same. Attending church, taking communion, teaching Sunday school, singing in the choir, all are empty exercises unless we are truly doing them for God. It is good to do these activities if we want to do them for God and not for the standing it gives us in the church. The northern kingdom of Israel has already been taken captive by the, Assyri by the Assyrians because they would not repent for their sins. And now God was getting ready to pronounce his judgment on the southern kingdom of Israel. But he has given them another chance. If they listen to Jeremiah and repent of their ways, they will be spared. But they are a hard-hearted people, and they do not repent. And God carries out his judgment against them. Jerusalem falls, and the people are taken into captivity in Babylon. If God did not spare his chosen people, he will not spare us. Is your religion worthless? If it is, God has given you more time to repent. Use it wisely. Kevin has his religion where it should be. He trusts God. His closest friend is God. He is secure in his faith. How much we could learn from Kevin. We too need to make God our closest friend. To trust God to provide us with all our needs. To hold God in our hearts and talk to him every day. Perhaps we too need to allow God to live under our beds. Amen. Let us rise now as we sing in our hearts and in our minds our closing hymn, Be Thou My Vision.